so can I be totally honest with you? Oh, I don't like that, but yes. I'm kind of hungover. Oh, I mean, that sucks because you're about to drink a bottle of wine, but you know, hair of the dog and all that fun stuff. Honestly, I've been looking forward to it all day because I definitely need the hair of the dog. Like, I just, I had one of those nights, one of those oopsie box wine nights where Mm -hmm. you drink way more than intended because you like forget how many glasses you've had because there's not a bottle where you can easily be like, oh, okay, I've had half a bottle. Nope, literally no idea. So there's that. Um, But yeah, so feeling honestly not horrible. Thank God it was just a headache and not like stomach stuff. Because if it Mm. was, if my stomach was upset, hair of the dog probably wouldn't be a good idea. But you know what? I'm totally fine. I'm going to power through. I'm going to power through for you, our listeners, who may also be hungover. Just kidding. It's If you're listening to this when it comes out, it's Tuesday morning. I hope you're not hungover. For me... You might absolutely be hungover. (laughs) Monday night happy hour. It happens sometimes. Generally, for me, it's a Tuesday night happy hour, though, because like Mondays, it's like the first day back from the weekend, and I just want to go home and put on sweatpants. Mm, That's real, though. But hello, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And I'm not hungover. (laughs) You know what? It happens to the best of us. I guess that means you're not the best. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that that hurt me to the core. Oh, yeah, um, I can tell. But one thing I will say, sort of off topic, not really, like a week ago or so, I had, you know, imbibed quite a bit. <laughs> I was at home. I was watching Grey's Anatomy. And I was just like, oh, my God, their scrubs look so comfortable. <gasps> I don't even have pajamas. I'm going to buy some scrubs. You bought scrubs? Mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> Drunk Tyler decided some comfy <laughs> navy blue scrubs were going to be great pajamas. Because one, I have never worn pajamas. I don't know why I decided I needed them. <laughs> um, but now I have some scrubs. And not going to lie, they're comfy as hell. Really? Where yes. Did you just like get them on Amazon or something? Yep. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Kind of makes me want to have some scrubs just because Listen, I do I, wear pajamas. And I felt so important because I, you know, instead of getting into sweatpants when I got home, I had them and I was like, I'm going to put on my scrubs. And then I was walking Max and I just felt like, ooh, I'm a doctor. <laughs> and then obviously not. And then of course my mind went further and I'm like, this is going to be the one moment that, like, I'm walking Max, and there's, like, an accident or something, and someone's like, he's a medical professional. Help us. And you're like, oh, fuck. And you know what? No, what you could do, you could be like, I'm a vet, or, like, I'm a dentist. <laughs> Dude, no, because I'd wind up saying that, and they'd be like, perfect, her dog in the car is who needs help. Or, like, perfect, she broke her incisors in the wreck. <laughs> Because that's what um, standardbys are. Standardbys? Bystanders are uh, worried about people's teeth. Anyway, um, I maybe I don't want scrubs because of that whole story. Um, okay. Uh, well, let's let's do this thing. Let's do this episode. Are you let's ready? Let's do this podcast. I am. Um, <laughs> also, again, 94. We are getting so close to episode 100. It is crazy. It's six weeks away. It's six weeks away, and I feel like we need to do something, but I have literally no idea. So, listeners, if you, I don't know, have, like, a 
maybe we could do like a big case together or something. Ooh, yeah. If there's a big case that y'all want to hear about that we haven't already done, <laughs> uh, true. Um, yeah, totally. Just let us know. Email us. Ping us. Almost said text us. Don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, reach out to us on social media or email us. Let us know your ideas, what you want to hear for episode 100. Um, and kind of in that same vein of y'all, let's talk about Patreon. If you haven't checked it out, highly, highly suggest it. We have our murder mini episodes there that come out bi-weekly, which are just extra episodes only for Patreon supporters. So if you just feel like there's not enough murder in your life, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, go into it. uh, And there's 40 some odd uh, more murders for you to just listen. I guess 80 because we do two of them. Yeah. Um, But yeah, check out Patreon. Check out all our different reward tiers. And yeah. There, I will say there is far too much murder in my life, but I keep seeking it out, apparently. Um, you say that as if we're part of, like, a mob family. <laughs> we're not. We're not at all. Well, also, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can get those notifications every Tuesday when the episode comes out. All right. I'm just going to jump right into the topic. So I picked the topic for this episode because um, I lost last week. And... You know, like we have told y'all, we're not error proof, okay? Sometimes we fuck up, okay? (laughs) And so this week's episode is, the theme is patricide for real this time, because (laughs) last time, now I will say, to be fair, we got it right, like, in the description. So it was episode nine, Homicide at Home. Oh my god, that was so long ago. So long ago. But we covered a couple of cases where people killed their parents, plural. And it's, um, we talked about parasitical murders, which that's the right one. But for the entire episode, we kept saying patricide. Like, hearing back, I'm just like, oh my god, we were so wrong. Okay, so I looked up the actual definition of patricide, So I can make sure that we use it correctly and that we talk about it correctly. But it's the act of killing one's father. So it's a person who kills his or her father. And the word patricide is derived from the Latin word pater, which is father. And the Latin suffix cida, which means like cutter or killa. (laughs) Or what? Sorry. I was looking at cida. (laughs) Or killa. Okay. Or killer. Oh my god, that was, I said that with such confidence. <laughs> Cutter or killer is what cida means. <laughs> okay. So, yep. and then the rest of the definition goes, patricide is a subform of parasite, which is defined as the act of killing a close relative. So it doesn't necessarily oh. have to be your parents, it's a close relative. Although, this is from Wikipedia. But anyway. Okay. We're going to properly talk about some patricide today. Which, yeah, I fully take responsibility for that because I remember in episode nine, I was so confident. I was like, parents, it's patricide. Duh. <laughs> and I th- I think my case did not even involve a father. Oh, I think just... he killed his, like, mom. So, yeah. Well, and I did the Menendez brothers, which they did kill both of their parents. So I was like, I don't, I don't know, still saying patricide incorrectly, but... 
I was covering yeah. what we thought we were saying. And that was the episode we did with Mama that I totally should have won, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, we did an episode. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, mm, we did an episode talking about killing your parents with our parent. Interesting. Yeah, we, we did. We did. We, we did that. Yeah, let's just like not kill anyone and definitely not kill family. I know they piss you off, but don't kill them. No, just open a second bottle of wine. Yes. Speaking of wine, are you ready to drink some? Because I am. I Like yes. I said, need the hair of the dog. Needs yeah, to I just want some wine, so. Well, I'm really excited about the one I picked, and I think you're going to be surprised. Ooh, do tell. So I picked the 2018 Claire Pataline Sauvignon Blanc from the Côte de Gascogne, which I think I said that right. Gascogne, something like that. No, that's definitely not right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Gascogne. Um, in France. So okay. it's it's a French Sauvignon Blanc. And it's $6 at Trader Joe's. So, you know, my favorite price Ooh. range. And it looks so good. Like, it just... I You know I'm not normally drawn to Sauvignon Blancs, but this one called to me. And um, I read the back and found a little bit of information. It's very highly rated and highly reviewed on Vivino, which is one of the websites I use a lot for wine research to read reviews about. And this Sauvignon Blanc is very crisp and zesty with those citrus notes that you expect out of a Sauvignon Blanc. Then it also has some hints of pineapple and passion fruit. So it's got more of a tropical taste, which literally makes me want to be on the beach. And it's also refreshing, round, and has a very smooth palate. And it's a nice dry Sauvignon Blanc. So literally, I've been looking forward to drinking this all day. Uh, that sounds amazing. I will say, I think Sauvignon Blanc is definitely my favorite beach wine and up there in my favorite, like, beach drinks. Last time I went to the beach, I went to Florida and I had one of those, you know, giant ass touristy thermos cups that's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're in clear water. And I'm like, I am. Um, and it fit a whole <laughs> bottle of wine because it's like no glass at the beach. So I just dumped it all in there and was like, mm-hmm, drinking my straw. <laughs> Got it was my wonderful. wine. Oh yeah, I love doing that. Um, the larger swell bottle fits an entire bottle of wine too, and that'll keep it cold for anyone mm-hmm. wanting to know. Good to know. Um, but I am going to jump into this wine. Dive on. You're gonna in. jump into it. Yeah, I'm gonna jump into the wine and swim oh. in it and drink it. That um is probably a spa treatment at some rich ass place in the Alps. Such a waste. Okay. And I'm using my trusty corkscrew, my, what did we determine this one is? It's not a key, it's the wing one. Wing one, yeah. Um, it's, it's squeaky as fuck. And, um, but yeah, so this is a cork, it's not a screw top. Oh, nice. Got it. I will say, at work, I uh, definitely had to swallow my pride, because um, I was opening a bottle of wine, and there was a wine key, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to be a waiter. Like, I got this. <laughs> and to my benefit, it was a shitty wine key. But I walked in like, oh, I got this. And then was struggling. And I was like, what the? <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's a really bad key. <laughs> <laughs> and like, even if it is, you can't you can't go back from that. And then um, the guy in the cafe was like, Oh, if you, like, use the bottom lever, like, that'll make it easier. 
I don't want to be like, yeah, I know. I did this for years. <laughs> I also drink wine all the time. Like, I got this. It's just broken. So, yeah. Well, That's... I will say, I don't think it being a shitty key was to your benefit. I think you were meaning to say in your defense. Um, yes. Yes, that is that is what I meant. <laughs> it was definitely the opposite of a benefit. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, this wine smells amazing. Like, Absolutely getting those citrus notes, but I'm getting hints of the pineapple, and you better fucking open your wine fast, because I want to try this so bad. Okay, well, Um, then I will. All right, what wine did you pick? So, um, when I was at the store today, I almost picked this Vino Verde, because I don't remember if we have done one on the podcast, or if it's just been a long time, and I was looking at it, and it was like, water clear. So I was like, oh. ooh, this could be interesting. Then I turn around, and it's 9% alcohol. And I was like, no. Never mind. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> so, uh, interestingly enough, I'm also drinking a Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, my gosh. The second time we can do the comparison thing in the thing. Boom. And this is the 2018 Bonterra Sauvignon Blanc from Mendocino County, California. So, I also think it's funny that... In my opinion, the best Sauvignon Blancs are from New Zealand, and neither of us are doing a New Zealand one. I was just thinking the same thing. So this Sauvignon Blanc, it's described as having distinct yet subtle aromas of citrus, and it has an edge of grapefruit. It's very attractive and complex, just like me. The wine is very light-bodied and crisp. It has these luscious fruit flavors of, again, the grapefruit tangerine and then also some orange peel so very much on like the citrus citrus side which from what i remember we did a bottle talk a while ago going over sauvignon blanc and i feel like i remember one of the differences um between new world and old world is that new world has a lot more of the like sharp citrus and old world is more of like the sweet tropical like papaya and shit I think I, I don't remember even know that what a too. Tastes like kind of like a mango ish. Okay, um, but yeah. So mine is uh, a new world. Yours is an old world. Um, and then, like I do, I read some reviews on it. One person said that they normally always drink Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand's Marlboro region, which I was like, girl, same. But they said this is one of their new favorites. They got it as a gift, and they had to buy more because it was just very crisp and refreshing with a nice quick finish. Another person said that it drinks like a wine twice its price, very crisp and fruity without being sweet, and it's their go-to summer wine. And then the last one that I read was it is light, clear, tinge of sweetness at first that's balanced with a slightly tart finish um and then good with fish cheese or just drinking as long as those fish and cheese aren't together i (laughs) fish and dairy seafood and dairy i think is probably the grossest food combination even normal things like shrimp alfredo i think that is vile (laughs) well your wine sounds really good too yes and it is a uh screw cap and how much was will, it? Uh, like 10 bucks. But I will say, going on to the fish and dairy, one thing that I do really like, and you're going to be, so, you're going to judge me so hard, you might quit the podcast. No, I'm pretty um, sure I know exactly what you're about to say. Oh, can I guess? Can I guess it? 
Okay. It's definitely the fish fillet from McDonald's because it has. It a piece is of definitely the it. fish fillet from McDonald's <laughs> with cheese. Um, you, I think you've told me this before because I know your aversion to seafood and dairy, but you're like, it's one of like the nastiest fucking things I could even imagine. <laughs> you're like, except for this, I love this. And I'm like, I know. really? I know. It's so gross, but it's so good. Oh my God. Even, even just thinking about like fish sticks and bread. I'm like, God, that texture sounds awful, but that's basically what it is. Throw on some cheese, some McDonald's tartar sauce, which I'm like, Ugh, I don't even want to think about how old that is. Oh my um, god, it's so good though. <laughs> uh, you're nasty. Okay, open your wine. I, I really want to try mine. Yes, um, and it's a screw top, and um, yeah, like I said, it was like ten bucks. Nice. Ooh, smell citrusy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god glugging it's you're you're absolutely using a red wine glass yeah i i know but i <laughs> wanted to use this glass it was either this or one of my stemless ones and for whites i don't like stemless because it heats it up true i get it oh that smells crisp and citrus okay yo let's cheers yo <laughs> i know i thought Killa, it <laughs> yo we're just what is happening to us <laughs> i don't know all right cheers, cheers. Oh my god, I have died and gone to Sauvignon Blanc heaven. Have you? I need a minute. Can I go, like, can I get a room with this wine? I need some time. It's amazing. Okay, okay well, um, maybe not while we're recording, but... Ew, I just, uh... I just gleeked on the mic. Um, <laughs> Ew! <laughs> so fucking nasty. Well, because it's, like, very citrusy, and so that, that back of my mouth, it just... Lots of spits happening right now, so sorry about that. Um... No, holy crap, this is so good. I will say pineapple and passion fruit are definitely the two things that I am very much, I am tasting those. It's very tropical, but it's dry, so it's not sweet, and it's very crisp. It's refreshing. This is probably one of the best Sauvignon Blancs I've ever had, but I will say, I think I felt this way about the last French Sauvignon Blanc I had. We did it so, so long ago. It was back when I still lived in Austin. And we were doing the same wine because, you know, we were together. Um, mm-hmm. It's so good. It doesn't have, like, those grassy notes that New Zealand is known for. Yeah. It, like, there's not key lime. It's very much this pineapple passion fruit tropical. Um, y'all, $6. This is probably one of the best values I've ever had from Trader Joe's. I'll say nice. it right here. Right here, right now. And... This is the hair of the dog I needed. I'm in heaven. Like I said, get in a room with this wine. Bye. Uh, okay. Well, I'm glad you are absolutely loving it. I think Sauvignon Blanc is probably the only wine that I could probably pretty accurately guess the actual region it's from by tasting it. Because I feel like it is so different based on each different area. Totally. Because mine... Definitely leads more on the grapefruit. There is none of the grassiness, none of the key lime that I really like out of the New Zealand uh, Sauvignon Blancs. And then there's none of that, like, richer fruit, like pineapple, papaya, passion fruit that yours has. Yeah. Mine is very much like a, um, honestly, a similar flavor profile to, like, a uh, grapefruit white claw. Oh, Just without that, like, malted 
liquor flavor. I've never had a White Claw still. What? Um, I know. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I never have. Even our freaking mother has had it, and I haven't. White Claw summer. (laughs) Okay, well, it's uh, February, so there you go. Um, That's disappointing. (laughs) So... I, you said that, though, about how it's the wine you can taste the difference in region. And I realized, I think so, I think for me, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, we've got the New World where it's more citrusy, you know, so California citrus. We've got the Old World. We have the French passion fruit, pineapple, very tropical. And then we have the New Zealand grassy key lime. And yeah. they are all such distinct flavors. Boom. Okay. So we have our wine. We have our topic. Brittany, why don't you tell me about your patricide for real this time? <laughs> okay, I will. So I did the murder of Peter Porco. And the sources I used, I used two articles from Forensic Files Now, which is basically like a blog that um, has details of the Forensic File episodes and like commentary, Uh-oh. but mostly information. It's amazing, by the way. I could get lost in this forever. And um, I also watched a Forensic Files episode. I don't know what one it was because it was, you know, when I was in a hotel and the only thing on TV, basically. Fair. But that's how I found this case. And an article in CBS 6 Albany by Liz Bishop and an article in ABC News by Iman McNiff, Chris Cuomo, and the ABC Law and Justice Unit. So this was a big article. Oh, So Peter and Joan Porco and their two sons, Christopher and Jonathan, they lived in one of the modest homes in like on a street that had a lot of oak trees in the town of Bethlehem, New York. And they were a couple of blocks from the local high school. So this, I mean, honestly, sounds like where we grew up. Yeah, very typical suburban like town. Yeah, and Bethlehem, it was a town where, like, teen drinking was one of their biggest concerns. And they didn't even really have tons of robberies. So it's just, like, a very safe space. But Mm -hmm. that's about to change. Ooh. I mean, obviously, this is a murder story. I mean, yeah. (laughs) So on November 15th, 2004, Peter Porco, who was a law clerk and 52 years old, he didn't show up for work. So his colleague, Michael Hart decided to go by his house and check on him and when he looks through the front door window so it was one of those front doors that probably had like the frosted glass or whatever but he could look in Hart saw peter's body sprawled on the floor with a huge like pool of blood around him oh and he was nearly beheaded oh shit the authorities would later determine that peter had been struck with an axe 16 times So when the police got there and they went upstairs, they found Joan Porco, his wife. She was 54 years old and she was in the bedroom. There was blood all over the master bed. It's just covered, like saturated. Obviously, that's where this crime took place. There was blood on the walls behind the bed. And like her husband, she had been hit with an axe, but only three times. However, this assault broke her jaw destroyed one of her eyes it was missing and it penetrated her skull deep enough to where they could see her brain oh but she was alive and conscious she was conscious yeah next to her kind of under the covers a little bit is what the police determined would be you know it was probably the murder weapon it was a firefighter's axe 
So they were, at this point, they found Joan and they're really puzzled. Like, why is Peter downstairs? And he's, the way he fell, it looked like he was going back up the stairs. And so it's like, why, why is he down there when it's clear the murder took place upstairs? Well, yeah. As it turns out, get ready to get your mind fucking blown because I feel like, just wait. So Peter did not die immediately after the attack. He lived for a few hours after the assault. Oh my god. Wait, but he was almost decapitated? Yeah. So he had been struck with an axe 16 times. And after that, he woke up, got out of bed, put on his clothes, and he went downstairs for breakfast. And he even went outside to grab the newspaper. And then he realized he'd locked himself out. But it's okay because they had a hide key so he gets the hide key, he lets himself back inside, and at that point in time, he dies of blood loss. He did all that after being hit with the axe six times and almost decapitated? Sixteen, 16. times. And yes. What? Yeah. So his zombie-like journey, it ended up spraying blood across the walls, in the doorways. He left trails of blood all throughout the house where he was walking outside you know, on the front porch. So this scene, like, I cannot even imagine. Like, not only is upstairs where the attack happened a bloodbath, but there's blood everywhere. So this is a horror scene. So, I mean, Uh, the question that everyone has on their mind, like, how the fuck did this happen? Yeah. I'm just stuck on how he was able to do anything with all these injuries. As Forensic Files explained it, Uh, Injuries can damage the brain's neocortex, which controls all of your reasoning, but they can leave intact this underlying paleocortex, which is, like, where you're guided by, like, these second nature habits. It it guides your routine. And so, basically, Peter had no idea he was injured. He was just going about his morning routine. This was his paleocortex just doing its thing. He had no idea he was injured. And so, like I said, I mean, obviously his wounds were, I mean, life-threatening. And he died from the blood loss of all of these, I mean, 16 times. And like I said, yes, he was almost decapitated. But his brain didn't know that. And so it just went about the morning. I'm sure, like, the alarm went off and he, like, got up. Or maybe he just woke up and was like, oh, got to start getting ready for work. And goes downstairs to eat breakfast. That is mind-blowing. It is honestly the whole reason I wanted to do this case because that, you know, we talk about the power of the human body and then the human body can go and do these types of things where it's like, how, how was that actually possible? How can someone be hacked to death literally by an axe and get up and go about their morning routine? Oh my God. Before paramedics took Joan to the hospital, because remember, Joan's alive. Detective Christopher Bodish questioned her about the attacker. Oh, sorry. One question. Um, So, I guess just timeline stuff. Obviously, this attack happened, you know, before normal wake-up time. Yeah. And then they were found because his co-worker was like, where is he? Yep. So, she'd been lying in bed for hours. Hours. Conscious. And conscious. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because if it took him, you said it took him like an hour or something after he woke up to die. Probably thereabouts. Yeah. 
Oh my god. Because I'm imagining, you know, coworker comes over like around or after lunchtime. You know, if someone if someone's late to work, you might start being like, okay, but where are they at like eleven? Or maybe I just don't give enough credit to my coworkers. That's when I would start being like, okay, but where are they? Oh, we do it at like 9.45. We're like, where's so-and-so? Why aren't they here? Mind you, I get to work at like 9.30. So like I have almost crossed that barrier of scaring people. Um, oh, just how long she's literally been laying there conscious. Yeah. Ugh. So again, the paramedics were in the bedroom. They were helping her, getting her on life support, like everything that she needed because she's severely injured. But Detective Christopher Bodish, he is in there questioning her because, I mean, they don't know what's going to happen. Like, this is the time she's conscious. I know that's one of the things that seems like, dude, let the paramedics do their job. But this is a crucial moment to try to get some information. So I get it. But it's also like very much, it's a very blurry line. I, I can see where he's coming from, though, because if she does die, like she very well could, she might right now be able to identify who did this. And if, if she dies, there's not going to be that. Yeah. So Bodish is asking her questions, and he asks if her older son, John, was the one who attacked her, and, and she shakes her head no. And then he asks, well, was it your younger son, Chris? And she nods Yes. As they're looking over the crime scene, police found that someone had smashed the house's burglar alarm, snipped the phone line, and opened a window and cut a hole in the screen. There was actually a newspaper reporter that informed Chris, who at this time was 22 years old, about the murder. Chris rushes home from Rochester, where he was going to college, to see his mom in the Albany Medical Center, where she had undergone like 12 hours of surgery. And he told police that he was sleeping in the lounge of his fraternity or like his dorm. um, I think it was a frat house, Monroe house. During the time of the attacks, he's like, no, I was at my frat. I was sleeping on the couch. Joan was left with disfiguring injuries and the loss of an eye, but she did survive her surgeries and her attack. She was in a coma for three weeks and she lost all of her memory of what happened. So investigators had a couple of things to go off of. One, um, you know, they had some ideas of some suspects. One of these people that was a suspect was an unhappy, um, like, case he had worked on. It was a custody case. And Mm. this person vowed revenge against Peter, but the man had a really good alibi. Another was that this was a potential mob hit because there was a family Uh member in the Porco family that was in the mob. Just casually. Just casually. You know, got your uncle who's in the mob. Um... But also Chris quickly became a suspect. And this is because his alibi started to crumble when fellow University of Rochester students denied seeing him on campus the night of the attacks. And investigators are starting to find some more compelling evidence against Chris. One of these things was that someone had burgled the home back in 2002 and 2003. And Chris was their number one suspect. And the reason is because he used eBay to sell computer equipment that he'd stolen from his parents and from the veterinary hospital where he worked part-time. So they were pretty sure he was the one who burgled his own parents' home. Investigators also found a surveillance video of a yellow Jeep, and that was the car that Chris had, which also, like, yellow Jeep, come on. I know there's actually more than you would think out there, but it's a pretty loud car. Uh, yeah. 
So it supported their theory that Chris traveled the 232 miles from Rochester to his parents' house the night of the attack, assaulted his mother, and killed his father with an axe, and then drove back to Rochester. However, police could not find any New York State throughway like Easy Pass data um, on this yellow Jeep, but there was a toll booth attendant in one of the cash-only lanes that said they, they really thought they remembered seeing a yellow Jeep come through with someone that looked like Chris in the driver's seat. But as far as, like, hard evidence, there was no easy pass data. If he did it, he was cash-only. Then they got some video evidence from the university. In this footage, it showed the yellow Jeep leaving and returning to campus at times that fit this timeline investigators put together. So at around 10.30 p.m., the Jeep left the Rochester campus. At 2.14 in the morning, the burglar alarm was deactivated at the parents' home. At 4.59, the parents' phone, or the phone line was cut. Again, this is 2004, so landlines are pretty relevant. So the phone line was yeah. cut. And then at 8.30 in the morning, the Jeep is seen on the video surveillance returning to campus. Police believe that Chris cut the hole in the window to make it look like a burglary because there was nothing stolen from the house. They later found Chris's easy pass on the floor of his Jeep. So like he took it off so it didn't detect it and went through the cash only lane. Oh, that's smart. It is. It's one of those things that I feel like someone who wasn't planning something definitely wouldn't think of. Yeah. And that, uh, I mean, I think that's one of the scary things. It's like, oh, this isn't just a like, oh shit, I need money or fuck, I'm going to rob them and do it. I mean, this is like a, okay, I'm going to like plan this, plan on, not only plan on how to do the crime, but plan on how to not get caught. I'm yeah. Like, Ooh, shit, you spent time thinking of how to kill your parents. Well, and one of the things you said kind of trickles into, why did he do this? And so that's our next big question. Why would Chris kill his parents? So in the years leading up to the murder Chris told his school friends all these stories about having a very wealthy family with extensive real estate and vacation homes. And he also committed a lot of financial crimes against his parents. He used ill-gotten loans to pay uh, almost $17,000 for this yellow Jeep and any other accoutrements that he felt he needed to impersonate this life of wealth. He also neglected to tell his parents that the university had suspended him because his grades were really bad. And so he had wasted the $30,000 in tuition that they had paid. And he would need another $30,000 once the school let him back in to pay for his classes. So in all, Chris was in the hole for about $50,000, which, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's not an like you can't not crawl out of that amount of money, but it's it's a lot of money, especially if you're 22. Feels like a lot of money. Although I will say, side note, there's a bunch of 22-year-olds that are in more debt than this because of student loans. So there you go. Uh, Yep. So instead of like working out a plan to repay his parents, he just started to avoid them and then decided to kill them. Potentially, he had his eye on a $1 million life insurance payout if they died. So Jonathan Porco, the older brother, he was actually an officer in the U.S. Navy And he said that his younger brother, Chris, was one of just a handful of people who knew the alarm's four-digit deactivation code. And so investigators determined that Chris smashed the alarm box 
after he deactivated it to like try to mask that he had deactivated it, which it, I mean, they, that's data. They were able to easily get that information and know that he punched in the code and then broke it. Yeah. It's one of those things that he's doing a couple things that are like, oh shit, that's smart. Like the toll tag thing. And then he's doing other things that I'm like, dude, you're dumb. That's obvious. Like if you enter the code that gets logged or like, you know, how they know the exact time the phone line was cut. They're going to see that and be like, hmm, interesting. That was like two hours after the alarm was, you know, done its thing. This doesn't add up. Well, and another thing that is in that same line of like, that was pretty stupid. He actually sought financial advice a little bit before the murders. He told an investment professional that he was coming into some money. And so he needed some financial advice. And it's like, dude, that is so traceable. Like, come on. And then investigators also found the evidence of these loans that Christopher had taken out fraudulently. Um, He used his parents as co-signers without their knowledge. So he forged their signatures to get these loans. Investigators also thought that Chris chose an axe as the weapon because he believed it would divert all suspicion from him and that it would look like it was a mob-involved relative, Frankie the Fireman. So it was a fireman's axe. And honestly, the police did think that was a possibility. So, Okay, that makes more sense. When you first said it, I was like, ah, yes, because if it's an axe, it never could have been him. I'm like, what? But okay, if Frankie the fireman, their mob uncle, (laughs) is that's his name. Okay, that makes more sense. But also, God, get a better mob name. But also... Like, holy fucking shit, he was so committed to this because that is violent. I mean, we have had our whole episode on axe murders, and I still, to this day, believe that is one of the most violent weapons that could be used for murder because it's so horrible and messy and brutal and just, my God, I I don't know, this is going to sound horrible, but it's like, you really want to have to kill someone if you're going to use a fucking axe to do it, you know? Yeah. And I think in almost every case we've done that does involve an axe, somehow, because it feels like it defies logic, I feel like usually it takes a while for the victims to die, if they do. And Which it's, blows so I'm like, my it's mind. So, yeah, it's so violent and so horrifying, and yet isn't quick. Not at all. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. For me, uh, killed by an axe is right up there with, like, burned alive. So Chris was arrested and indicted for second-degree murder and attempted murder. And his trial finally took place in July of 2006. The prosecution, though, they had no forensic evidence except for a New York throwaway ticket that allegedly carried Chris's mitochondrial DNA. So, like tiny amounts of dna on this ticket from the tollway the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell it is the powerhouse of the cell and investigators also theorized that he wore scrubs from the veterinary office where he worked Uh, yep me (laughs) oh no don't associate yourself with him okay well maybe i should burn my scrubs no that would look more suspicious Wow, um, exactly what I was literally about to say, because they they didn't find the scrubs, so he clearly destroyed them or hid them. Probably burning. If you're going to get rid of something, burn it. Like, that's what people do. I mean, see, you say that, but then also, like, 
if you had to get rid of something right now, you live in Dallas. If you were like, shit, I need to burn this. You don't have a fireplace in your apartment. You're going to go to a field, burn something next to the tollway. People going to see. <laughs> I know, because like, that's the field by where I live. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there at that. I was like, God, oh, yeah, I'd burn it. Then I'm like, uh, where? I know. I, I mean, I guess I could like drive into the woods and burn. That's, I don't know. I'd throw them off a bridge or something. Take, or like in the water. Take it to the dump. I don't even know where the dump is. I don't either. I, I don't I don't frequent landfills, but okay. Well, now that we've talked about best ways to get rid of evidence, I'm going to jump back uh, in. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um. So a colleague actually testified that Chris had experience cleaning up after surgical procedures. So like he would know how to get rid of the scrubs and whatnot and like clean himself up. Um, nine of his frat brothers refuted his story that he was asleep in the lounge in Rochester. They were like, no, he wasn't there. Um, and a neighbor, like, that drove by the Porco's house claimed that he glimpsed a Jeep in the driveway on the night of the attacks. I also, his alibi he's giving is like, oh, I was sleeping in the living room. That's a fucking stupid alibi. I'm like, oh, I was in the most public place where it would be obvious if people had seen me. And people are going to be like, we, yeah, we were in that public place and you weren't. I'm like, you couldn't have been like, oh, yeah, I was holed up in the library. Or, I don't know, some bullshit. Well, and also, you going to take your bright ass yellow Jeep and park in the fucking driveway? Like, come on, dude. Still. There were no eyewitnesses placing Chris at the crime scene or inside the house. So during the trial, Joan Porco, she stood by her son through everything. She accompanied oh. him to court and testified for the defense. She told the jury that she did not recall ever implicating Chris the night of the attack and that her son would never commit such a heinous crime like the one that killed her husband and disfigured her. And she even scraped together $250,000 for his bail. And they would always walk arm in arm, like their arms were linked when they walked into court. Holy shit. However, even with his mom on his side, a jury quickly convicted Chris on the strength of this timeline that the prosecution had put together. Wow. And he got 50 years to life, and he'll be eligible for parole in 2052. Wow, I... Man, if you're going to say, I don't know if I could have convicted him, you're just like a broken record. But I get it, if that's what you're about to say. Yes, I mean, (laughs) that's exactly what I was going to say. Thank you for that uh, beautiful um, recreation of my voice. (laughs) Um, I I obviously think he did it. Yeah, but there's really not much evidence. No, it's circumstantial. circumstantial. I know. So... And this is one of the things that's always so difficult because it's like, with the case the prosecution put forward, (laughs) what is that clinking I hear? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry if y'all can hear it. I um, didn't put my wine back in the fridge like I should have. And so I know it was wrong. And I do apologize to my listeners and my country. But I put ice cubes in my wine. Because it was getting warm. Yeah. And I don't expect you to forgive me. I'm like looking at you as I'm trying to talk about my case and you're trying to not make the sounds and I'm going to straight up call you out. Sorry, not sorry. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, but no, I totally get it. Like, I feel like we talk about a lot of cases where people are convicted on circumstantial evidence alone, and it's troubling. But at the same time, it's like, but I really feel like he did it. And you've got to know that's the exact same thought the jury had in their mind. Yeah. Um, But he's in jail. And the Lifetime channel actually made a movie based on this crime called Romeo Killer, the Chris Porco story in 2013. Okay, that's a title. Well, and exactly. In the movie, he was some sort of like ladies man, but this was this was not the case. He was not a Romeo. And this movie got some passing remarks from reviewers, but the reader comments on these reviews, that's where the gold was. And so there were 40 comments posted on Nelly Andriva's uh review in Deadline Hollywood of this movie. And more than a dozen of these 40 comments came from readers who identified themselves as neighbors or classmates of Chris. And they definitely disputed, like, this notion that he was very popular and, like, some type of fucking Romeo. And so one woman said, Romeo, he was not. I grew up in the small town of Del Mar, New York, and the guy was a clown. So, like, like, all his... Yes. (laughs) I know, like... Yes, you go, girl. Um, so, like, he's got all these comments, like, all this shade of, like, no, this is so not the fucking, this is not Chris. And so Chris is obviously, he was not happy about the movie happening at all. And, like, before it came out, he tried to sue Lifetime. And Joan, his mother, she tries to join the lawsuit. And, I mean, to this day, she still fiercely stands behind his innocence. Yeah, and... See, I feel no sympathy for him. I'm like, well, when you murder someone, you don't get to have a say in whether a movie's made about it or not. But Joan, as one of the victims, absolutely does. Yeah, and she was a part of the movie as well. But after six years back and forth, as of October 2019, uh, Crystal has not won any type of lawsuit uh, for this movie. Like, he hasn't hasn't gotten anything. Um, Which also, I'm like, come on, man. I'm sure Lifetime, with how many movies they're making, they do their due diligence. Like, Oh, I am sure their their corporate lawyers are very well versed in, based on a true story, entertainment stuff. Totally. Because that's, that's Lifetime's bread and butter. It is. Um, but that is the murder of Peter Porco, the horrific attack of Joan by their son, all because of some fucking money. That's so fucking stupid. This case is so mind-blowing because, I mean, obviously because of the fact that Peter, like, lived for so long after and Joan survived. But I just, I mean, zombie state is the only thing I could think to describe what happened. How he was just wandering around, doing his routine like it was a normal day, and he dies because throughout all of that, he lost a ton of blood. Like, the fact is he would have passed away anyway because he you know 16 times i don't think this was something he could survive no he either would have bled to death in bed but instead he gets up and starts walking around and i'm sure his heart was beating faster so he died quicker like it's that's i guess if we want to look at the saving grace of this is that he was unaware of his injuries he was just going about his morning routine no that that's fair that's a good point but holy Um, shit but okay yeah that was mine Let's continue okay. this uh, theme of patricide. What case did you pick? 
So you know what's really funny? When we drink white wine, we have like off-camera wine pours because I literally, like we took a pause, I ran to the refrigerator, filled up my glass, and then ran back. Like, Mm -hmm. I love doing white wines, except I feel like I need like a bucket of ice on my desk. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like properly um... the icicle things. Yeah. (laughs) I want one of those. So listeners, it's this thing that literally looks like an icicle and it's a stopper that um you you chill in the freezer and then you cap your opened white wine bottle with it and it keeps it chilled i think we need to invest in those because literally i i feel like we're always like okay but can you pause for a second because i need more wine okay but that's all off uh, i was gonna say off camera it's off mic behind the scenes except it's on mic and it's edited out all right but what's your case for real this time my case is the murder of jeff hall and the sources I used, uh, the Wikipedia page for Murder of Jeff Hall, an article from the Washington Post by Christine Phillips, and then an article from GQ by Amy Wallace. So Jeff Hall, he was this guy who was born in 1978, and he grew up and he married his first wife, Letitia Neal. With Letitia, uh, they had two children, Joseph and Shirley. Joseph was the oldest. He was born on June 19th of 2000. And they had a not a great marriage. Um, they divorced after having the kids. And then after they divorced, Letitia had uh, two twins uh, with another man. And in 2003, so I think uh, they were divorced. But from what I could gather, still connected maybe they were still friends maybe they were just connected because they had shared custody of of, children um yeah because with joseph and uh shirley but they were still like in each other's lives Mm -hmm. um so letitia um she had gotten a new relationship um she had twins with this guy and then in 2003 the twins were hospitalized for failing to thrive oh no and that means like not eating right not eating, not growing, just being not taken care of, basically. Oh, shit. And granted, not every uh, child who's a failure to thrive is any part of the parent's fault. Not always, but sometimes it is. Um, and so that's basically whenever there's a failure to thrive case, immediately they need to look into what's the home life look like. Because sometimes it could just be a sickness. Sometimes it could be mistreatment or abuse. Right. And remember, at this time, their oldest child, Joseph, is, like, three. So, all the kids are babies still. So, after the two twins, they were hospitalized for failure to thrive. Child Protective Services was called and wound up removing Joseph and Shirley from Jeff and Letitia's custody. So, they had, like, shared custody, and CPS came in and took them all. Social workers um, who went to Letitia's home saw that there was no electricity, oh. there was no gas, there was maggots on the dishes, oh, God. the children were dirty, they were malnourished, they were bruised. It was not good. And at the time, Jeff Hall, he was on probation for a DUI. And because of this, you know, the kids were removed from Letitia's custody They can't go to Jeff because he's on probation and also other things. So Joseph and Shirley were placed with their grandmother. 
Then the next year in 2004, I think once Jeff Hall got off probation, he got full custody of the kids, of Joseph and Shirley. The two twins um, that Letitia had after Jeff, I, I don't know. If they went back under her custody, if they went to their father's custody, I'm not sure. Oh, God. So it's just like a mystery? I couldn't find it in my research. Yeah. So I don't know if it's necessarily a mystery. It's a mystery to me. Yeah. So after their divorce and after Jeff got custody, um, he wound up marrying Krista McCary. He had three more daughters with her. So it's the two of them with like five kids now. Yeah. That's too many kids. It's a lot of kids. I mean, <laughs> as someone who grew up with two sisters and two step-siblings, five kids too many. <laughs> it's a lot of kids. <clears throat> and... This, I don't know if I mentioned where this was. This is in, like, California, in, like, Riverside, California area. So, Letitia, after um, Jeff and Krista get married, Letitia moves out of California, and she also got remarried. And then, just a month before what I'm about to get into took place, she had come back to California because she wanted to get custody of Joseph, her son. Wait, just him, not Shirley, her daughter? Um... Uh, I don't know. It said of her son, I imagine both. Mm, but we don't know for sure. This is kind of a fucked up situation, so. <laughs> it's very fucked up. So Joseph, the oldest son, born in 2000, his grandma described him as a very volatile and violent child. Oh, God. That is not good. He had been expelled from several schools for attacking students and teachers and once he nearly choked out a teacher with a phone cord. Holy shit. When you say violent, you were not kidding. And this is like elementary school. He's not like a high schooler doing this. He's like an elementary school student. Oh, God. Which I'm like, so at that age, personally, I feel like you can put no blame on the child because they're like, what, eight? No. Eight-year-olds can't do anything or make decisions. That's like, oh, shit, this is like. The home life. Yeah, so this is the psychological trauma this child has gone through to where they feel like this is the appropriate way to act out. These are the things you have to do to get what you want, to survive, to whatever. Like, shit. Well, and another piece of that, Joseph also had some developmental disabilities. Um, He had no understanding of cause and effect, which... For that, I'm like, a lot of children don't, Mm -hmm. but they do on some level. Mm -hmm. There's, like, the long-term cause and effect that I think a lot of kids don't fully realize, and I think a lot of people don't really fully develop until they're, like, late teens. But I feel like at a base level, even children know, like, I don't know, if I I push someone, they will fall down. Mm -hmm. That kind of cause and effect. And I don't think Joseph had even that. No. Um, He also had attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is ADHD. Yeah. And um, had a pretty low average intelligence. Basically, after getting expelled from all these schools, Joseph and his three sisters at this point were being homeschooled. But it was under the guidance of uh, a charter school. So I think, like, the school gave parents, like, lesson plans and materials Mm -hmm. and they were taught at home okay so there's joseph the son let's talk about jeff for a sec the dad 
for the past three years, at this point in our story, he is now like 32. Um, so for the past three years, he would been having just a ton of difficulty finding work because he was a plumber. And this was during the um, recession. I was like, economic downturn. That's not <laughs> what we call it. That's what it recession. is. But the recession. Yeah. Um, so he was not being able to find a ton of um, work. And I think his type of plumbing was like putting in the pipes for construction stuff. So like beginning, like new home kind of. Yeah. yeah. And so when, you know, housing bubble popped, especially in California. No new homes are happening. He's not able to work. And he's also um, an asshole because, like, this was happening. And he believed that the reason this was happening was because uh, Jewish people and people that were not white were responsible for taking all the jobs. What the fuck? Yeah. And so he became a local leader in the neo-Nazi movement. So just to give you some, like... A little more background and context on how much of a fucking Nazi he is. Jesus. In October of 2009, he led a group. Yeah, Nazis! So, uh, he, yeah, he is leading a group uh, at a Nazi rally, and they're wearing, like, World War Two era Nazi garb. Not even the, oh, we, you know, we're, we're not really Nazis, we just believe in whatever, whatever. No, they're they're fucking Nazis. Full on swastikas. Yeah, and he is giving like interviews at rallies and just being trash, being like, "My kids are being destroyed because they have to see multiculturalism." Oh my and I'm god! Like, oh, like first off, proud of you for being able to pronounce that word. There's more than two syllables in it, but also, what I'm like, when has broadening your mind and seeing other perspectives ever been a bad thing? Literally. In what way is seeing how other people live their lives bad? And if anyone tries to make the argument of like, I don't know, you know, walking a mile in someone else's shoes or getting a wider perspective, that's a bad thing. They're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I 100% agree. In 2010, this is this is how unabashed and unashamed he is to be a Nazi. First off... That's all shame Nazis. That's a good thing to do. I mean, fuck the Nazis, right? Yes. He ran for election, like local election, against an incumbent person for like the municipal water district board. So a very important position. Sorry to any listeners if y'all are on the municipal water district board. You're you're doing great things. Isn't there like, like a train conductor board or whatever in Texas? I, I, yeah, I think so. There's... <laughs> it's just a very interesting title because I'm like, you're not a train conductor. Like, you do something different, but it has to do somehow with trains. I don't really know. It's confusing. And I, I get why there needs to be, like, governance over these things. But regardless, he's running for election for this board. And he's running as a white supremacist. Like, that's his thing he's running on. And he even got a third of the vote. Running as a fucking Nazi as his platform. Oh my god! Like I said a second ago, like fuck the Nazis. Like why? Yeah. Why sidebar? Why the actual fuck is this something that keeps coming up in today's world and like the world of your timeline of this case? Like literally, this was the forties. Why is it still a thing? Oh yeah, racism. But okay. 
Yeah. I'm like, we had a whole world war about this almost 80 years ago. So on May 1st of 2011, Joseph, who's 10, he took his father's revolver from the upstairs bedroom where his stepmom was sleeping. He went downstairs to where his dad was like sleeping on the couch, put the gun to his dad's head and fired a bullet. He's 10? He's 10. Oh my god. He then went upstairs and, you know, like shook his stepmom, woke her up, and he's just like, I shot dad. Oh my god. Okay. I'm going to fully admit, when you started your story and they were like babies and like kids, I was like, oh, okay, this is just background. He's going to get to when they're adults. He was 10? He was born in 2000. So police come. His dad is dead. He killed him. They, you know, take Joseph in to interrogate him. And the police detective, the Riverside, California police detective who was interrogating him, recited each sentence of the Miranda warning and asked him if he understood. And the police officer had to correct him and explain to him what different sentences meant. Because first off, he's 10. Yeah. But second off, he's developmentally behind. Right. So one of the examples is that Joseph thought the sentence, you have the right to remain silent, meant that he had the right to stay calm. He didn't understand the idea of self-incrimination or any of that. Yeah. He didn't get that the right to remain silent means you don't have to say anything because we could use that against you. He was like, okay, I can just like, I'm okay to be chill. I can chill. Yeah. Yeah. His statements to these authorities, they suggested that he really did not comprehend that his actions had lasting consequences, not only for his dad, but for him. Like... When the police officers arrived at the crime scene, he asked them, how many lives do people usually get? Like their cats? Uh, like that or like, you know, video, like Super Mario. Oh, oh, sorry. Obviously, clear cat lady here. Um, I was thinking nine lives. But yes, video games. It makes more sense. I feel like an idiot. Um, no, don't. But because <laughs> cats have nine lives. But yes, no, video games, lives. Oh, my God. Oh my god, it's because he's 10. Because he's he's 10, and from what it sounds like, his, um, you know, due to the abuse he suffered, due to other behavioral issues he has, mentally he's probably close to like 7 or 8. Oh my god. And he told police that the day before shooting his dad, his dad had threatened to remove all the smoke detectors and burn the house down while the family was inside. He also told detectives that he was tired of his dad hitting him and hitting his mom. And he he called Krista, who is his stepmom, he, he called her mom. Yeah. Um, And also one thing, Krista's 26. So she's literally my age. Oh my god. Could you even imagine dealing with this at your age? No. With it. Oh, I was just thinking a 10-year-old in general. Yeah. But, I mean, also murdering my spouse, No. Well, I will say, I thought about this the other day, and this is really random sidebar, but if I had had a child at 16, they would be 16 right now. That's weird. Can you imagine having a high schooler being like, all right, Tamantha, let's, like, go get your driver's license. Also, you named your kid Tamantha. Sorry to all the Tamanthas out there. (laughs) Um, No, I cannot imagine (gasps) Oh my god, you go by Tammy. 
Hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I can't imagine it. And it's just as much as I can't imagine having like a five-year-old either. So. Same. Regardless. So Krista also told police that Jeff had been violent with her and with Joseph. Sometimes he would lose control and he would kick Joseph in the back. Oh, jeez. He would punish the kids on a daily basis. And then the police report also said that, you know, the house was filthy. The floor was covered in clothes and everything smelled like urine. And that there were just guns and weapons strewn throughout the house. Like, easily accessible to all the kids. And remember, Joseph's the oldest. Yeah. At 10. Yeah. So, you know, Shirley and then um, the three daughters that he had with Krista are all younger. So when Joseph was taken to Juvenile Hall, um, the staff had to buy him a pair of tennis shoes because they didn't have anything small enough that fit him. And uh, Mike Socio, who is a former Riverside County Chief Deputy District Attorney, um, he's the one who handled Joseph's case at the time, he was quoted to CBS News saying that Joseph asked if he'd be able to keep the shoes when he goes home. I because oh my god, I hate your case so much. Like I have not been this conflicted during a case in a long time. Yeah, I mean we always um really focus on the victim, not the killer. That's like our mantra, and this is hard, but. I mean, there's no part of the... Everyone in this case is a victim. Well, and also, a child does not understand. And obviously, Joseph does not understand the concept of life and death. And so, no. how much fault can you put on him for for what happened? I mean, I know the reasons we're still, like, not really sure. I'm I'm very conflicted right now. Same. So Joseph was arrested, he was taken to juvie, and the other four kids were taken into protective custody because Krista, uh, Joseph's stepmom, she was arrested and charged with storing firearms and child neglect. So Joseph's grandmother, um, Jeff's mom, Mm -hmm. uh, who had, you know, previously had custody of them, uh, she was given temporary custody for the other four kids. And she said that her grandson, that Joseph, he'd been misbehaving by starting fires. And this is like the most heartbreaking sentence. Because remember, she is Jeff's mom and Joseph's grandmother. And she said that she was not surprised that he killed his father, but that she had expected it wouldn't happen until he was a little older. Oh my god. Wait. Oh my god. Um, sorry, repeating myself because are you kidding me? His mother was like, "Oh, yeah. No, I t- I totally knew that was going to happen, but I did think he was going to be more of a teenager before he killed his dad." Yeah. I mean, she's like, "Yeah, he he murdered my son, but I thought we had a little more time left." I mean, "Oh my god." Yeah. Oh, I will say I am struggling with how to react to your story because this is oh my god I'm I'm so conflicted. I've said it over and over. I'm so conflicted. Yes, same. Um Joseph told investigators that his motivation for killing his dad was an episode of the show Criminal Minds. 
it's because he's 10. Because in the episode that he watched, he saw a kid shoot his abusive father and not face any consequences. Um, so, so for what y'all did not see is my like blatant uh, moving of arms and like crazy reaction because, hold on, your case has gone from like family to Nazi to criminal minds, and I am struggling oh. with everything that's involved in this. Well, get ready to struggle with what I'm about to say next. Joseph also believed that his dad would recover from being shot, and the two of them would be able to reconcile. He had no concept of death and permanence yeah i mean like i said he doesn't know the difference in life and death i mean he asked about no. lives like a video game mm-hmm. or cats as i first heard so joseph's attorneys their first move they wanted to get the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity due to his diminished mental capacity due to the abuse he suffered but if he if that didn't work and he was convicted because he was 10 at the time, um, he couldn't have been incarcerated past the age of 25. But still, he's 10 and facing a sentence in prison for longer than he's been alive. Yeah. And the fact that when he and this has to do with like, I don't know what happens when you leave prison, but it's like. Oh, he's fucked. He's fucked because he's going to be 25 and get out of jail and have the, like, ideas of a 10-year-old because you don't... And, sorry, over-generalization, but I feel like you probably don't develop the same way in prison as you would outside. And I feel like that makes Mm. sense. Um, So he is going to have so much catching up to do. And by the time you're 25, and I feel like you can reflect on this because you're 26... You're expected to understand a lot of things. You're expected to be at a certain place in your life. And he's going to come out as 25 years old, never having worked, having no college education, having no... No high school diploma. No high school education, Um, yeah. I don't know if in juvie, if there's... If school is... I would imagine it is. I think they do. If there's like a schooling that's... I hope they do something. I think they do something. If there's not, (laughs) that shit needs to change. But I, I, I feel like there has to be. But at the same time, even if he has a high school diploma, he has his GED, he he didn't have a college education, and he's looking at working somewhere that is going to bring him a living, but probably not the living that he he wants. I I mean, this is so, oh my god. The thing is, while he, you know, could very well, you know, get a job and live his life normal. Totally. He also went in when he was 10. So his mental he's not state. Been, yeah, like he's not been able to develop that that self-preservation and like responsibility piece. Yeah, and I know, sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I am just trying to picture someone that goes into jail at 10 and comes out at 25 and how they actual fuck they would navigate life. Yeah. So on January 14th of 2013, despite his age at the time of the murder, he was found responsible for Jeff Hall's death and would be sent to a juvie facility. They began his sentencing hearing on April 15th of 2013. And his lawyers were presenting evidence about his psychological well-being and like, literally, how are y'all doing this? Uh, Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with him being held responsible for this. He was young. Mm-mm. 
he was behind in development, so his understanding was not there. He, you clearly have stated he didn't understand the difference in life and death. I don't agree with any, um, I mean, yes, I agree he needs to go somewhere. He needs help, but being held responsible, no. He needs therapy, not prison. He needs therapy, not prison. I could totally see if it was something like uh, he's on like a like a 10-year probation type thing where a probation officer or like a child psychologist or someone like comes to the house once a week or once a month or something like that but yeah so despite all of that um he was sentenced to juvenile detention until he reaches the age of 23 and he'll be eligible for parole at the age of 20 and he has appealed and con- uh, appealed the conviction and the sentence And on October 16th of 2015, the California Supreme Court declined to take his case. Oh, my God. Their reasoning was, and this blows my fucking mind, their reasoning was that a 10-year-old should be able to understand their Miranda rights, which is ridiculous. No. So the case uh, went up from there to the United States Supreme Court. And on October 3rd of 2016, the United States Supreme Court declined to take any action on the case. So, he is staying in juvenile detention. He will be eligible for parole at the age of 20, and he will turn 20 in June of this year. But he has been in juvie all this time, since 2011. Yeah. I graduated high school in 2011. So... Wait, you really? You, that's when you graduated high school? Oh my god! I thought it was like yes. 2015. I don't know. That was college. No, I, that was college. I'm not 19. Or <laughs> I don't know. Wow, dude. Whatever. I don't know how age works. You are always no, I, like 12 in my head. As much of an adult as you are, I apologize. It's part of wow. being an older sibling that you will never understand. Just going to totally put that out there. You will never get this. I disagree because I do understand because our stepbrother is younger than me and I totally know what you mean. No. Okay. No, you're right. But as. Because I'll be like, oh my God, I forget you're a, we we can go out and drink. Okay. Because how, no, you're 11. Okay. You're right. But my perspective was coming as like the oldest. Um, That's true. How literally all four of you are not the actual ages that you are you are all like 12 year olds who can't get out of that and i apologize because i know that is insulting and weird but in my head it makes sense you haven't grown from there because you're my little siblings (laughs) um no i i totally understand and i totally see why parents are like yeah i know my daughter's 30 but she's always going to be 14 in my mind yeah totally or actually, no, parents are more like, she's always going to be a, like, toddling one-and-a-half-year-old. Regardless, I just, he went into juvie in 2011 after this, because he was, like, held in juvenile detention. When I was in high school, and now I'm 26, and he's still there. And if he doesn't parole at 20, at the earliest, I could be almost 30. He's been in juvenile detention that entire time. And it's horrifying. But that is the case of the murder of Jeff Hall. And, um, I mean, Joseph is absolutely a victim. 
um, of his dad's abuse, of his horrible growing up conditions. But Jeff, his dad, he was a Nazi. He was a terrible person. He is also a victim. He is. He was murdered. And it's just, uh, all of it's awful and confusing. And yes, that is my case. I mean, your case is such a mindfuck. And um, I'm just going to say, are you ready for postmortem? Sure. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go with a 65% yes. So I am totally going to Kanye this uh, postmortem and like steal the mic and just tell you what's up. Because... Okay, well, um, we both have mics, so I'm going to tailor you four years later right now. Okay. Look what you made me do. Um, Totally tailor me, but I will say, I feel like this has been a theme as of recent, but the things that were dealt with in your case, the intensity, I can't even hold it in. Because it is a child who is a murderer, but also a victim, and a father who is a fucking nazi but also a victim and my mind is struggling to comprehend this super fucked up case so i'm gonna say that is a signal that yours is more intense my case it to me it like subverses your natural reaction because in any murder story your natural thought is to be sympathetic towards the person that was murdered yes. and to be antagonistic towards the person who did the murdering. Uh-huh. And it's totally the opposite here, but also not entirely. Yes, because not as, completely. Sh- as, as shitty as a person Jeff was, I would never want to uh, meet someone like that in my life. Does not deserve to be shot. But in your case, it's so violent. Yeah. And... I mean, it's a fucking fireman's axe. And not only, you know, was dad killed, thankfully, he wasn't aware of it. His brain wasn't fully, you know, doing all the shit. His mom was. Uh, I know. And she was conscious that whole time. And then, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, the decreased mental faculties that Joseph had, in your case, Chris, I mean, he's 22 and thinks that the only way to get out of Financial situations? Yeah. You know, he has to pretend he's rich and keep that going, and he's in debt, so he has to murder his friends. I mean, obviously, he has some issues with his mental faculties, too. Yep. Um, But, yeah, I I will agree with you. My case um, is more intense. Yours is just so fucking brutal. Well, and... I mean, my God, we both brought some super intense cases, but also <laughs> killing your fucking dad has a lot of intensity attached to it. Mm-hmm. And regardless of your age or your situation, there's obviously something that is going on that makes a child feel that that is the outcome. Like, that's what's got to happen. Um Yeah. But the innocence of a child and the innocence of Joseph is what I think makes yours more intense. Chris was just fucking trying to rob his family of all their money and wanted to be like this high profile, I got all this money, I got all this shit yeah. kind of dude. Yeah, I mean, he's 22. He knows right from wrong. He does. He knows he's a fuck up. 10? Joseph doesn't. Joseph doesn't know. Joseph yeah. is living the consequences of our system and how it handles 
individuals that clearly have mental and psychological and emotional disabilities and yeah joseph deserves more i hate Mm -hmm. what happened to his father even though he's a fucking nazi i hate that that happened i hate that that's how his life Mm -hmm. ended but joseph clearly didn't know the level of his actions he didn't know what he was doing no so i will um i don't know let you pick the topic next episode i will and i'll make sure it's just as fucking crazy as this one Oh, joy. You know, when we did Patricide Right. When we did Patricide for real this time. <laughs> um, fuck. Okay, so I feel like we need to talk about something for like a good 30 seconds that doesn't make me want to go home and cry. I mean, I'm home. Go to the corner and cry. Okay. Um, I burned my mouth on um, tamales yesterday that I was reheating. And it was one of those things where the first bite was literally boiling, but then when I had a bite from another piece of it, it was still cold. I know that's what our listeners have been dying to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my story. But I also have a milkshake in the fridge, and because it's um, Sunday that we're recording this, I'm super lactose intolerant, so it's going to destroy my organs. But it's my day off today, bitches. Destroy me with a milkshake. Honestly, I'm ordering a pizza the fucking second we hit stop on the recording. I've already set it up on DoorDash. It's going to happen. But I will say... What will I say? Well, while you think about what you want to say, I will say... I want a t-shirt that says, destroy my body with a chocolate milkshake. (laughs) Okay, all right. You win. (laughs) Um, this episode was so much that I struggle to find things to be positive about at the moment. Um, except that I'm done with my wine and I'm sad that I'm done with my wine, which this was. That's not positive. This is my hair of the dog. That's tragic. My hair of the dog is gone and I need more dog hair. Now you are holding a hairless dog. It's like a sphinx cat, but a dog. But a dog. Do you. Just picture like a dachshund. No, I I was going to say chihuahua. Okay, well, you've got a Chewini, so ew, picture like Charlie naked. Ew, hairless. no, all the wrinkles. <laughs> I hate it. It's just a giant ball sack, but a dog. <laughs> Everything's like dangling and kind of like dragging on the ground. Oh, <laughs> I love pugs. They're little stupid smashed faces. <laughs> They're perfect. They literally look like cartoon dogs who ran into a wall. Yes, like they were going fast, and they hit a wall, so their faces scrunched, and all their skin did the, like, and wrinkled. All the skin, all the wrinkles. Um, Uh. So, with that, with the dog wrinkles, if you guys (laughs) enjoyed this episode, enjoy us, love us, let us know. Like, please go and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's honestly the best way to let people know that this is something that they should listen to and that they should love our weird fucking antics. And you know what? On top of that, if you love someone, let them know. You haven't texted your parent in a while that you love them? Just do Seriously. it. Seriously. They'll probably call you after and be like, what's wrong? What's happening? And he'll be like, oh my God, no, I'm, 
I just want to tell you I love you. Like, actually, all good. Um, Dad, I just listened to an episode about patricide, so I just wanted to call you and tell you I love you, and I'm not gonna murder you. <laughs> Thank you for not being a Nazi. Yeah, seriously. Um, but you know, all I think lessons to live by. Your best friend, tell him you love him. Tell everyone you love them because, and getting real for a moment, you don't know how much time you have, so always spread the love. But also on that, um. If you're telling someone you love them because you expect something from them, that's not love. <laughs> that's bartering, and you're an asshole. <laughs> so feel free to tell your crush that you love them. But if you have any expectation that they'll sit back or date you or leave their spouse or what, then it's not love. You're being an asshole. Don't tell them. Wow. Okay. That's way too real. That's way too real. Anywho... Thank y'all for listening. Make sure if you have... Yeah. No, I'm just going to like hard slam the brakes, turn right. My face (laughs) is just like, okay. Your face is saying, hmm, we're going to talk a little bit after the recording is over. Uh, We will. But um, make sure to like and follow us on all of our social media. If you haven't, um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, check out our website. Check out our merch store. Check out Patreon. Just check check us out. Check 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 us out. Yes, yeah, all <laughs> of that. Um, uh, again, thank y'all so so much for tuning in. This is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.